Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My guest today is Nathan. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and thanks for having me back. Today's topic, the second season of the Marvel Studios animated anthology series, What If? The series explores alternate timelines in the multiverse that show what would happen if major moments from the MCU films occurred differently. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. We've not talked about the first season. I have reviewed it with Jason, and obviously we're going to get into season two, but before we do that, what did you think to the first season? Yeah, not bad at all. Um, didn't know what to make of it initially, but um, uh, and it, it took a little while to get used to, but I quickly came around, and um, it's good. I, I really like that they're bringing that vibe from the What If comics to, to television. Yeah, and I was familiar with the What If comics. You know, I've been reading them since I was a kid. And again, I said in the intro there, an anthology series. And for the most part, they are one and done. But it caught me by surprise when in that first season, it started to form a a connected story. And then mm. you've got the Guardians of the Multiverse. And then we've got that cliffhanger. And then we had to wait for season two. And I think mm. before that season two had wrapped, or before season the season two finale had aired, should I say, they announced the third season, which is coming this year. So we won't have wow. to wait too long. I mean, what still catches me, not so much by surprise because I'm used to it by now, the cast of the MCU films, I mean, the cast is its incredible. You know, Robert Downey yeah. Jr. in that first Iron Man movie, the Samuel L. Jackson cameo, and then we've got Chris Evans, and the names that are attached to the MCU, so impressive across all these live-action movies. For the most part, not necessarily always, but for the most part, the actors are reprising their roles in this show. So when yeah, you get the... Yeah, so when you get the skip intro i never do because i just want to see which actors mm. are going to be there but it's like yeah. they're not skipping intro and you're watching yeah. the opening of this marvel studios cartoon and you're seeing names like michael douglas chris hemsworth chris hemsworth paul rudd yeah. you know all these impressive you know actors anyway That's sometimes great. they might get one line of dialogue in an episode but do you know what it counts. They get the names in the in the opening. I never skip the intro because I just love that um, the the voiceover by uh, the the watcher Jeffrey Wright and that last bit where he says, "Join me." Oh no, he says, "Follow me," and ponder the question, "What if?" And it just captivates yeah. me every time. Yeah, do you know what? He's one of those actors I could listen to reading the phone book. Mm. He's just got Agreed. one of one of those voices and. Yeah, like as you say, hypnotic. he narrates the, the series, so you get the opening, the close, but then as the episodes go on, he kind of, sometimes he'll pop up during the episode because he's not always watching and he starts to get a little bit involved and there's a whole thing with That's the thing, wasn't Captain Uatu, Carter? 
wasn't Uatu forbidden from ever interacting or interfering um, with events? He could only ever bear witness? Always, yeah. That's always been the case. But they're doing something fun with this show and with him. It's it's kind of like um, what Rod Sterling did with the Twilight Zone. Mm. Introducing the episode, he'll he'll close it out. So it's you know it's a good way mm. of structuring the show. But I'm just looking at the cast and wow, it is it is impressive. I think the best way to talk about this season and to review yep. it, there's only what was it nine? I think nine episodes. Mm. So for the most part, we'll just go through those episodes, and I'm sure we'll cover everything as we go but before we get to that season two of what if continues the journey as the watcher guides viewers through the vast multiverse introducing brand new and familiar faces throughout the mcu the series questions revisits and twists classic marvel cinematic moments with an incredible voice cast that includes a host of stars who again reprise their iconic roles the show was developed by AC Bradley. He serves as head writer with Brian Andrews. He directed quite a few of season one, is back directing some episodes of season two. But from the opening, the big get we've said is Jeffrey Wright. Like the mm. guy is fantastic. And he's one of those actors that. You know, sometimes when you just you feel like, wow, I've discovered this new actor. You know, whether it's seeing Jeffrey Wright in the Westworld TV series or various other things. And then you're like, oh, actually, I've been seeing that actor for like 10, 15 years in like film and mm. TV, but just didn't notice them enough. Yeah, what's like he, he up to? Yeah. Like Jeffrey Wright, the first time I saw him in something, but didn't really he was fantastic in it, but I didn't realize that, hey, this is going to be somebody that's just going to take off years from now. He plays mm -hmm. a bad guy in the Sam Jackson Shaft movie from 2000. Oh, nice. Pretty awesome. sure that was directed by John Singleton. I love that movie. It's got Pat Healy in it, the worst Commissioner oh, wow. Gordon from the yes. Inverton films. He's nice. in it. And actually, you know, Jeffrey Wright goes on to play Commissioner Gordon in the Matt Reeves Batman movies, so that's that's pretty fun. That Shaft he was movie, great. he was he was amazing. As, he really was. Gordon. But looking back, that first Sam Jackson Shaft movie had two Commissioner Gordons. Mm. There we go. <laughs> but, that's pretty awesome. What a yeah, connection. Jeffrey Wright is great, and we can talk about the the other cast when we get to those particular episodes. Yeah, the animation, um, like you know, the the artwork, the the designs. At first, when I first started watching season one, it did take me a little while. Like, what do, what do you think to the animation style? I agree with you. I have a love hate relationship with the, with the animation style because I I've grown to like it as the series has uh, progressed, especially in the second season. But initially, I, I'm in the same boat as you. I I found the animation style a little jarring, a little perplexing, and uh, I just thought it was a bit too AI. A bit too soulless. Um, didn't I, I get that they were trying to blend the worlds of cinema and comic books and kind of kind of come to a happy medium uh, and meet firmly in the middle ground there with the animation style they've adapted the house animation style for the series. But um, 
it is I, I am a little more comfortable with it now because i've had some time to let it sink in but initially didn't my initial reaction it didn't like it it was too jarring for me yeah i i was the same i mean originally the show was planned to be animated in 2d with director Brian Andrews even pushing for it due to disliking cell shading. Eventually, mm. it was switched to the design scene now due to time constraints and the large amount of effort 2D animation would have taken. Mm. So cell shading is a type of non-photorealistic rendering designed to make 3D computer graphics appear to be flat by using less shading color instead of a shade gradient or tints and shades. I thought they were using this approach and it does, even though it's animated, it does seem photorealistic. And I thought the idea was that they really wanted to capture the actors likeness yeah. as well as having them yeah, voicing these through. characters. That really comes through. I see where you're going with that. Cause I agree. I do like when the Marvel logo appears it switches to an animated form of the show style. That's yeah. pretty cool. It opens looking like the movies do, but then you get that switch to, That's to animation. Cool. I do like that. So yeah. the episodes, like the season two premiere, what if Nebula joined the Nova Corps? Ronan, the accuser, betrays and kills Thanos, which results in Nebula joining the Nova Corps. Straight away, I'm getting... Blade Runner, yes, uh, Judge Dread vibes. I really like Karen Gillan. I think she is fantastic. Going back to when she played Amy Pond in Doctor Who, uh, various appearances. If she's in something, I'm watching it. So for her mm. character Nebula to be in the season two premiere, I thought that was excellent. And then. You know, liking the actor, liking the character, and then just a fresh take on this character. I really, really liked. Mm. Yeah, I was I was blown away. Um, we were watching it, Sarah and I, and we uh, came away from that episode really enjoying it. Actually, um, truth to tell, first my first viewing of that episode, I, I fell asleep because I was dog tired, but I rewatched it the night after, and I was wide awake for it, and I loved it. Um, and yeah, it, it, you. Blade Runner, man, you totally took the, the words right out of my mouth. It totally feel, has that futuristic vibe to it. Um, downtrodden, rain-soaked city, um, you know, on the lamb, on the run, you know, sort of police state powers that be coming after a... It was very cool. I, I really liked it. Very atmospheric. Uh, the color the color palette and everything about it was so atmospheric and cinematic and, and uh, it drew you in. It was very engaging and immersive. Liked it. And any reason to bring Michael Rooker back. I'm there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there for it. I'm just wondering, did Lee Pace reprise his role as Ronan or was it, or was it a different voice actor? That is a very good question. I can scroll up and look at the cast and potentially find him. Because I don't think from memory, Ronan even had any spoken line dialogue in that episode. He just appears um, briefly in one or two scenes. I think you're right. And that's, and that's the thing. Lines. Just going back to the animation style and then mm. being able to ape the likeness of the actor, mm. even if there's no dialogue, you're thinking of the actor and you closely yeah. associate them with with the character. That's it. That's it. I can't remember if 
if he did. You know, while we're talking actors, right, before we get into mm. episode two, I'm just yep. having a look. There's some actors that don't reprise their roles. Robert Downey Jr., I mean, yeah, of obvious reasons, he, unless something Such changes. And they would have to pay mega bucks. That's probably why. And that's it. And that would be the half. That would have to be the thing that changes. Uh, we don't have Scarlett Johansson. Instead, we have Lake Bell, who is voicing oh, wow. Black Widow. Whenever she appears, there's no Chris Evans. It's Josh Keaton. Wow. But a lot of the other actors, like when Grandmaster yeah. appears, it's Jeff Goldblum. When Valkyrie yep. appears, it's Tessa Thompson. When Thanos appears, it is Josh Brolin. Nick Fury, mm -hmm. yes, it's Samuel L. Jackson. But they're the, have, um... they're the notable omissions, I think. Even Elizabeth have... Olsen is back as Scarlet Witch. Yep, and John Favreau is Happy Hogan. Oh, yes, yes. But let's not just jump to that Christmas episode because that's right, potentially that one of the best episodes. So episode fantastic. two. We'll get to it. We'll get we to will. It. Episode two, what if Peter Quill attacked Earth's mightiest heroes? Ravagers deliver a young Peter Quill to Ego as planned, so he becomes an accessory in Ego's expansion. Quill lands on Earth, so S.H.I.E.L.D. assembles the Avengers in the 1980s in response to the possible threat. So much to enjoy about this episode. One, Kurt Russell in a cartoon. That was cool. Ego, which is very cool. cool. But when they do something like this, it's like, right, okay. We're going to have the Avengers in the 80s. So you're going to have Michael Douglas voicing Hank Pym as Ant-Man. So there was a lot to enjoy about this episode. Uh, his daughter was in it, Janet, but she was a lot younger and she had yeah, the connection yeah. with a young Peter because they both had Walkmans. So that was a good way of them two building rapport. Uh, yep. It was just a lot of fun. And and this for um, me is where What If excels, where mm. it's similar. It's really quite similar, but different enough to what we already know. And it works really well seeing what the Avengers would have looked like in the MCU during the eighties. Little details like that really, really go a long way. And it was cool that Hemsworth reprises Thor. I mean, I mean, even though it's the eighties, Thor is a, a ageless, timeless. He's been around the eons, so it makes sense that Hemsworth will always be Thor. You know, there was a deleted scene. Oh, was it deleted or did they include it? There was a scene in season one of Loki, mm -hmm. and it was. Throg, you know the Thor frog, frog, the little Thor frog. Yep. And Hemsworth recorded a cameo for it. I can't remember if they include it in the actual episode, but I've seen the clip. I love that. That's nice. that's crazy. That Hemsworth awesome. would record a cameo. That's dedication, frog. man. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, yes, it's a job, but at the same time, you know, Marvel has done a lot for him. His career, he's had successes outside of Marvel. But going back to that first Thor movie, I mean, before that, I'd seen him in that horror movie Cabin in the Woods. You know, Joss Whedon mm. was attached to that. And it's it's a really good movie, but not a massive, you know, box office yeah, movie. Yeah, I'd say he, he owes a considerable amount of his success to the Marvel MCU. And I'm pretty sure that 
Joss Whedon connection from Cabin in the Woods is what first got him noticed for Avengers in in the first place. But yeah, I do like yeah. that when he when he comes back and well, when all these actors come back and again, most of them have. So episode three is the episode titled "Happy Hogan Saved Christmas." Wasn't that brilliant? Justin Hammer takes over the Avengers Tower during a Christmas party, so Happy Hogan, Darcy Lewis, and Maria Hill have to stop him without the Avengers. So there's no Avengers. Instead, instead of Hans Gruber, you'll think Die Hard, we've got Justin Hammer. Instead of John McClane, we've got Happy Hogan. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode, and this is where we first get to see Happy Hulk out. And then we get to see it again in a later episode in 1602. 1602, that was brilliant, yeah. But, but the um, Christmas but, episode was... They were clearly right. going for Die Hard. That's exactly where my mind went upon watching it. I was like, ah, oh, I see the parallels here. Yeah, I just, I love it. And, you know, people, you know, the age-old question now, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Oh, oh that question on. gets it's, asked. Well, I mean, it's like, asking if, it's like asking if Batman Returns is a Christmas movie. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's more... Yeah, okay, we, we we can't get into this. It'll take up the whole podcast. But I think yeah. there's more of an argument for Die Hard because the whole yeah. movie revolves around a Christmas pie. That's yeah. it. That's why Sorry. the the, the Army Plaza in the first yeah, place... Definitively answers the question. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Kat Dennings also reprise her role for that episode? Darcy, yep, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, she yep. she's back for this, and it's oh man, I, I had so much fun with this. You know, she's having great. John Favreau awesome. playing a you know John McClane type in Happy Hogan, mm. and then he mutates a purple Hulk, and then having Sam Rockwell come back as Justin Hammer. Oh, so I think Sam Rockwell is fantastic. You know, I recently, but just last night, rewatched mm. Galaxy Quest. I love that movie so much, and he is so good in that movie as Guy. He well, is fantastic, and they are releasing a series of pop vinyls for Galaxy Quest. I think there's maybe five figures, and one of them is Guy, the Sam nice. character. And there's that movie coming nice. out, the Matthew Vaughn movie, Argyle, which looks fantastic, yeah, a spy caper, and Sam Rockwell is in that, and he looks bloody fantastic. My first exposure to Sam Rockwell was in a a movie, it was an adaptation of a Chuck Palahniuk novel, the author of Fight Club, called Choke, and he was the the central antagonist of of that, and that's how I first found out about Sam Rockwell. And I'm fairly confident, just like What If, Choke is available on Disney+, Plus, which is a weird place to be able to watch that movie. Yeah, because it's such a disturbing movie, and the novel was really weird as well. Saying that, you can also watch Fight Club on, on yeah. Disney Plus. So go figure. Yeah. But Sam Rockwell is fantastic. You know, when he was He's first great. introduced, Justin Hammer in Iron Man 2, fake tan, you know, over the top, like oh, a man. cheap Tony Stark. He played it perfectly. Yeah, he 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 imbues uh Justin Hammer with that sort of arrogant, sort of prick attitude, and he just pulls it off with a plum. Episode four, what if Iron Man crashed into the Grandmaster? Iron Man does not come back to Earth after destroying the Jatari Command Center and instead lands on Sakaar, 
where he has to confront the Grandmaster's rule and survive Gamora's revenge. So this is Thor that, Ragnarok, but instead of it being Thor, he's Iron, Iron Man. Man. And that was probably my favorite episode of season two, to be honest with you, because I love how kinetic that whole race sequence was. Yeah, so this kinetic. one is definitely a highlight. But as I said before, no Robert Downey Jr. This is Josh Keaton sounding like Robert matter. Downey Jr. Yeah, he does. He does. He, he pulls it off really, really well. So yeah, after a while, you don't even realize it's not Robert Downey Jr. because it just it's pretty convincing. I'm the same. And because... I knew for a fact that it wasn't him. It wasn't a distraction. You just go with it. Yeah, he definitely mm. he does a serviceable job. But you know, he's surrounded by, you know, Jack Goldblum, Tessa Thompson. So, you know, these actors that we know are from these movies, Thor Ragnarok is appearing here. And they, yeah, does, like, so they already flesh out the world. Yeah. Yes, it does make it work. And just Jeff Goldblum just being his lovable self, really. Like, he's just... just just uh Jeff uh Goldblum being uh you know uh Jeff Goldblum. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. Wor- it works. You know, when when they first launched Disney Plus as a show on there, or there was a show on there, The World mm-hmm. According to Jeff Goldblum, and each episode was him discovering something else. Like there was an episode <laughs> all about sneakers, an episode all about ice cream, and it was just him just being wondrous and like almost him. childlike, just experiencing wow. things. And it was a National Geographic show that you got on Disney+. Plus. They did a second season. But then when Disney decided to start calling things, changing the pricing, limiting content, removing content, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the legend, no, the world, according to Jeff Goldblum, has been removed. With a few select other things like the original Disney Plus uh, series Willow, starring Warwick Davis, that got taken off around about the same time. So anyway, Disney Plus, get it together. You know, we're really enjoying Jeff Goldblum in What If Season 2, but put that show back on the streaming service. Really, there's demand for the content. Bring it back. Honestly, when... Disney Plus first launched, like the big draw for me was The Mandalorian, like the, mm, you know, the first Star Wars live action TV show. It was that, yeah. it was The World According to Jeff Goldblum, and then a couple of other things. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. And I just I missed that, that show. It was uh, very good. Episode five What if Captain Carter fought the Hydra Stomper? Captain Carter discovers that Hydra Stomper is alive but he had been captured and exploited by the Red Room. So you've got that Bucky Barnes connection, Winter Soldier, what we've got in the movies. It's Mm. different in this particular episode. Hayley Atwell is Peggy Carter. Yeah. Well, she's Captain Carter, but whatever. And that's, that's the name she takes. Yes. She does have the British flag on, on her chest, but yeah, Captain America. And now we've got, Captain Carter. Captain Carter didn't sit well with me. Uh, I just, to me, it feels like a cop out. It's like, oh, we can't get Chris Evans back to reprise his role, so there's no Cap. So that's all right. We'll just we won't worry about Cap, but we'll just have uh, uh, a female Cap come in, and, and she's the new Cap. It's, it's, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't sit well with me that that whole vibe. For me, Captain Carter is one of the best things about season one and two of What If. I think she's absolutely fantastic. Whatever version of Peggy Carter, Hayley Atwell is playing that first Captain America movie, the TV series that ran for two seasons. 
after What If Season 1, which was the first time we saw Peggy as Captain Carter, we've got her in live action in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Magic, in the Multiverse of Madness, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. Captain Mm -hmm. Carter, he's fantastic, and he's got nothing to do with not being able to get Chris Evans back because throughout both seasons of What If, Steve Rogers appears. Yeah. He's just voiced by a different actor. He's his former self, isn't he? He's not the cap self, right? Yeah, but it's different it's it's different versions. Oh, Josh Keaton, he voiced Captain America. Who did I say for Iron Man we were talking about before? It's you said Josh Keaton as well. Yeah, it's not. It's Mick Winger. He's mm. he's voicing Tony Stark and he does a very yeah. good job of aping Robert Downey Jr. right, Josh Keaton. So, yeah, Captain America's in it. So they've not got Peggy Carter or Captain Carter because they couldn't get Captain America because they absolutely have got Captain America. They're just telling they just a, make, yeah. a different story. And with this being what if, I think focusing... Yeah, that's true. You're right. It's, it's an alternate reality. So things are different. It's not the regular MCU we know. But then when you have Captain Carter breaking out of the structure of an anthology series and like appearing in multiple episodes and being able to jump to different realities. I think it works better having a character that isn't Captain America, Iron Man. It's mm. somebody that we are familiar with. We know Captain Carter already. You know, and again, we've got him in live action, which was fantastic. And Haley, well, I think she's great. I really do. It's almost like she's the linchpin that kind of holds what if together because she's the one who's driving the narrative and 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 it's the the link or the thread if you like that's it's going through all these episodes towards 100 100%, 100% and if it was the watcher and steve rogers captain america having all those scenes together towards the end of season two it just wouldn't sit right because that's no, not how we think of captain america an, and it wouldn't be an alternate reality and that's the whole point of what if because it's positing a different reality so the show, I think, benefits from, you said it, linchpin. I mean, her be the linchpin and then the main person that's going to bring all these different characters together. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Episode six, what if Kaori reshapes the world? A Mohawk woman ventures into the waters of the Forbidden Lake to help save her people. So she's the brand new character not from the comics, yeah, was- created exclusively for this show, and no doubt she'll appear in the comics at some stage. But oh, yeah. at the moment, a new character for this show. So when you get into the team-up at the end of the series, and it's Kaori and Captain Carter, I thought them two working together was absolutely fantastic. But yeah, when you watched episode six... I just pressed play. So majority of her dialogue throughout the whole episode is subtitled. Mm. And I watched it. I thought it was great. And, you know, the the world building, they packed so much in to like a half an hour episode, yeah. like not only creating felt, this new character, but it was building. so fleshed out, wasn't it? Yeah, so fleshed out, building this world, supporting characters. You got to know who she was, what was driving yep. her. And then, you know, you had the villains that were coming in there looking at taking over her town and her her people. I thought the, it was fantastic. 
The Spanish, yeah. If you go, if you click on the episode and you look at like extras, hmm. I've not watched it this way, but you can watch this same episode in English. Wow. So it's an English episode, and instead it's, you know, so it's not going to have the same effect. No, I got when we, when we watched it, which prefer, I think is the best way to watch it. I prefer that they, they recorded it in their, in their native tongue. Um, and then at the end of the episode, there's an acknowledgement to the, the Native American people of, of, of that community. You know, there's that acknowledgement saying we worked very closely in, in, in collaboration with them. And we want, we want to, Marvel, want to, Marvel Studios want to thank them for their, you know, for their input and their participation. And I think it's brilliant that they did that. And, it's just another avenue of storytelling and it's it's so true to comics as well because that's what comics does and that's why comics and film and animation work so together work so well together in, in tandem or hand in hand because it's it's sequential storytelling and it's really cool that they were able to do that and find another way to creatively unfold a narrative yeah it's it's so smart yes it's mm. been inclusive but it's also like the, the level of world building. It's like what they're doing mm. with the Echo miniseries. It's the MCU. We yeah. spent so many years, so many films, so many mm. TV series in this world. But mm. by showing a different part of the world, it just opens it up so much more. It's more lived in. It's, yeah. it's a bigger world. And then just... Yes, have people not speak English? Have it, have them speak in yeah, their I, own language and subtitle it. It just it adds so much more right. gravitas to it. You're right. I love the the uh, you're right with the word inclusive, and I, I think what's brilliant and what I I take my hat off to them for this, and I applaud them for this. It's not done in in a, a virtue signaling kind of way, um, or in a way that's trying to be anything something else. It's in a very organic and very gen gen uh, genuine way, and that that is so apparent. And I really like that. What if episode seven, what if Hella found the Ten Rings? This is a half hour cartoon, Kate Blanchett. It's like, again, mm. there's certain actors that I'm just like, wow, I can't believe they're doing like a cartoon, which, you know, it, it's a well-made show, don't get me wrong, but still there's certain actors that pop up. And again, some actors might have a line of dialogue in a particular episode. This is a Kate Blanchett episode. She's in it start to finish. We have Hela stripped of her powers and banished to Earth. She comes across a source of power, the Ten Rings. So this is fun because it's a crossover between the Thor films and the Shang-Chi film or the, the world around Shang-Chi with the Ten Rings, mm. them coming together Instead of Thor's hammer being thrown down to Earth, it's Hela's helmet. And then Odin wants her to learn. You know, it's just all of this. It's not Anthony Hopkins, that, but is voicing Odin. He's doing a bloody good Hopkins. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That episode, dare I say it, is hella good. Um, yes. It, you, you yeah. Bet. It is. Um, it's, it's a really nice merging, as you say, of Norse and Chinese mythology and culture. And, um, what a great blending! What a great merging and blurring of the two! And yeah, the guy, the guy doing, um, you know, Thor doing Odin. Sorry, uh, nails the Hopkins esque kind of um, gravitas, and that's what you want. You want gravitas is the right word for Odin, and that's why they got Hopkins initially. So this guy really nails that. I thought it was really well done. It was a good episode. Yeah. 
It's Jeff Bergman. Jeff Bergman. Oh. He's the actor uh, voicing. Oh, yes. No. Bit of a callback to um. Such a good job. Yeah, bit of a callback to to um, as you say, the Shang Chi movies. How we have uh, the Mandalorian, uh, the Mandarin rather, and that whole that whole village in the woods there. And they've been they've been kind of hiding him. What we know of Hela from Thor Ragnarok. That's what mm. we know of that character within the MCU. But what mm. this shows us is that she does have a potential for good, and she can even mm. surpass even surpass her dad Odin. Yeah, it was mm. a really strong episode. I thought that was a great one. Absolutely. I know when you were looking forward to watching episode eight. What if the Avengers assembled in sixteen oh two? Captain Carter. Captain Carter tries to undo the anomaly that strands familiar heroes and villains in the year 1602. The comic, that was Neil Gaiman, wasn't it? Yes, Neil Gaiman, Richard Eisenhower, and Andy Kubert. I want to say Andy Kubert? Yeah. I've not That's read right. it. I know you have, or I'm assuming you have, because you were telling me you were looking forward to this particular episode. Yeah, because they did a really good job adapting that world, and if when you read those comics, they're done in a very they're done in a certain way. If you look at art from that period, it has a certain style to it. Um, it's very hard to, to explain or to describe here, but if you were to see it, you would know what I'm talking about. And I feel like that show is able to bring that sensibility to life uh, on the screen, and they did a really good job of adapting that. Didn't go into as much detail as the comic does because it fleshes out the MCU. You know, we see Daredevil with Spider-Man and a bunch of other, uh, Stephen Strange, a bunch of other characters, um, you know, what they're like in, in, the, in the time of 1602. This is dealing more with the immediacy of the Avengers sort of section of corner of the Marvel Universe. But it's still very good. Does a and job. that's it. It's folding the comic 1602 or mm. what they did with the comic, the idea but they're incorporating it into the finale of season two, what yep. started as an anthology series, which is now playing into a connective story, and it's how these okay. characters are going to come together. In episode nine, the season two finale, what mm. if Strange Supreme intervened? Benedict Cumberbatch, mm. Doctor Strange. I mean, I've lost track how many times he's actually played the role of Stephen Strange. I mean... Many times at this point, like he was in the most recent Spider-Man movie. He's had two movies himself. Season one of What If is the Avengers movies. Like he's got to be up there potentially as one of the actors that has most reprised their role. I think he would come a close second to Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Yeah, he's definitely he is he is um is up there. But in this episode, Captain Carter discovers the greatest threat to all existence, maybe closer than she realizes. It's strange. Like <laughs> it's strange. Mm. He's no he's not just capturing anomalies and villains, he's also capturing villains because his drive, or heroes, should I say, villains and heroes, his drive mm. is to save Christine. And then you get this big battle, all the heroes are loose. We've got Surtur, once again voiced by Clancy Brown. That was Ragnarok, mm. was it? Was it Ragnarok? Yeah, I think that's where he, where he appeared. But anyway, all these characters are reappearing, and there's this big, big fight. And then you've got Captain Carter, Kiori. They team up together. 
Strange comes to his senses and ultimately he is defeated. The Watcher appears and then we're getting ready for what will be season three of Mm. What If. So definitely some ups and downs in the season. but when, Yeah, there were memorable episodes uh, and ones that were forgettable, you know? That's it, but when they get it right, they really do oh, yeah. get it right. They're on fire in all cylinders when they get it right. So if you're going to rate What If Season 2 out of 5? I'd come in at probably like, I think 4 out of 5 is, fair, is good. Um, that's fair. Um, look, it's a lot of fun. It captures the spirit of the What If comics where everything's twisted up and different alternate realities and stuff. Um, and it just, yeah, it opens a can of worms, but, and that might be overwhelming to new people to, to comics or to the MCU, but to, you know, seasoned vets like us, we know what we're getting into and it's a lot of fun. Um, yes. Some episodes are a little, a, a little weaker than others, but that's to be expected. They can't all be winners to quote bad Santa. Um, but I liked it and I'd go with a solid four out of five for sure. How about you? Yeah, I mean, those, those highs really are, like, again, go back to episode three, the Christmas episode, the first episode with Nebula. There is a lot to like, but I found myself not being in much of a hurry to watch the next episode, to the point mm. where, knowing we were going to be recording today, I watched the final three back-to-back, because they were just sitting there in my watch list on Disney+. Plus. I'll get to it later. I feel yeah, like I had more sense of urgency for that season one because it was it was newer at the time. Mm. And I know people who are big fans of the MCU and haven't got through the show yet. It's just, mm. I don't know, it, it is good. It is enjoyable. And I'm keen to see more with season three and hoping for more of the anthology episodes, the one and don'ts, instead of this yeah. arc that they're building with... Yeah. Guardians of the Multiverse. Like, just give us more right. one, one and done. The one and done seems seems to serve the show more and gives it uh, a revisitable quality and propels the show more. Absolutely, sure. absolutely. I'm going to come in at a 3.5 out of 5. That's fair. We said that's a recommend. Well, that's it for our episode all about What If Season 2. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Thanks for having me. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>